Some of you may know that there was a period of time in which we lived in New Jersey. Um, we had a church there, and I took a trip to northern New Jersey where part of my family comes from, my mom's side of the family, and I went to the grave of my grandfather. It's a meaningful moment for me. I was sitting there looking at his tombstone, and... Uh, <clears throat> knowing that this had happened when I was a young child. And so here I was some 20, 30 years later in front of his tomb. And so I couldn't help myself. I pulled out my cell phone and, and I called my mom and I said, look, mom, I'm here. I'm here with Papa. I'm here at his tomb. I'm here with him. And it's, I just wanted to share that with you. And she said to me, well, he's not there. I said, what? I'm looking at the gravestone. Well, he's not there. He's back here in Michigan. Turns out they had taken him with them. <laughs> but today, today we're not dealing with, okay, maybe the body was placed elsewhere. Today we're dealing with, no, no. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by God our Father. We are dealing with an absolutely life-changing moment. And each of the gospel writers records it somewhat differently. John is the latest of all the gospel writers to record what took place. John was by far the youngest disciple, probably a very young teenager when he started following Jesus. And so we get to read this morning his account of what transpired. So let's listen for the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, may you bless this time. May we hear your word again, but may we hear it afresh. May you open whatever is needed in us to open up that it can get to the very heart of who we are. And we might hear your gospel message. In Jesus' name, amen. As recorded in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone, <clears throat> and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw 
and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said all these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, as I read through the passage and think about if I were a, um, a director for a movie, how would I cast the scene? And, and I think I might open, open that, that movie with a scene of two disciples running side by side, kind of turning corners in town and, and one outpacing the other, then the other outpacing the other one, and finally that younger one kind of getting a, a greater and greater lead as they, as they get out of the city and go into, well, into a grave area. I think I might start with that image. This kind of race. This race that's kind of in the dark. A race that kind of just begs the viewer to take in, why are they running? What are, what's going on? Are, is someone chasing them? What what? What's this about? And then to see that first one arrive at a tomb and just kind of stop the, the, the sudden pace coming to a halt as he stoops and looks in an open grave. Not going in, but looking in just enough to see grave clothes. Allowing the scene to kind of capture that for a moment to suddenly be broken by the other one catching up, maybe even leaning on his shoulder as he presses past and goes into the tomb. In many ways, in many ways, this passage plays with where we are outside the tomb. Not just literally, but where are we as a people, as a person? Because the tomb that we're talking about here is asking a question of us. 
Remember, John writes down all these details late in life. And he writes it all down, writing this gospel, and he's well aware probably of Matthew, Mark, and Luke and what they've done. And he's writing this for one purpose and one purpose only. Not to relay all the details of what it was to follow Jesus, but to get across a very simple question. Do you believe? Do you believe? and trying to give us as much information as he can to help us believe. Because we're outside the tomb. We're not there. It's hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. And so he shares his remembrance of that, including that very racing and outracing Peter. Peter was probably the oldest disciple. John was likely the youngest. You can see how there's maybe even a little bit of bragging rights. I beat you, old man. But why were they running in the first place? Think about that for a moment. What led to their running to this tomb? Simply this, that Mary Magdalene, and she alludes to others, And the other gospels say that it was not just her alone, but that the women had gone to the grave and they found that the stone had been rolled away. Now, we're not real experts on what it was like to be buried back in that time. But it's different than what you and I experience when we go to the graveside where a hole is dug and we put artificial turf around it and, and, and we, we allow the coffin to sit there up top and, and kind of wait and maybe even as we walk away when we're not around they start to lower it down in the dirt and everything's filled back. No, it was very different. These were tombs carved out into the rock and there was kind of a double burial if you will. The bodies were laid, more than one body, laid inside these tombs, and they were wrapped and, and cared for, and, and, and myrrh, for example, was wrapped with the clothing, and, and the whole purpose was to allow the body to decay, and of course, it would quickly in that region. And then a year or so later, they would come, and they would gather up the bones, and they would put those into a special box, an ossuary box. There was great care taken for the dead. So here we are at the tomb. Mary and the other women have come to the tomb and they've seen that the stone that is meant to seal it up and to keep all the stench in there, you know, it's not easily removed. They see that it's moved away. And in this gospel, we don't get Mary looking in at first, but certainly the other gospels share that they do. And and it's certainly the reason that she comes back and reports to Peter and John that the body's not there, that they've taken the body. Someone has taken the body. The classic they. You know, we're always fighting they. They've taken the body, and we don't know where they've laid him. That's what leads to Peter and John running. But before we get to that race, we need to take in one simple piece of reality. It's different in this culture 
than the culture of long ago. A woman's testimony, a woman's witness in that time did not matter. Multiple women together testifying, it was not a valid witness. Oh, I know there's times where some of you women feel like us men have ears and we don't listen to anything. Well, maybe that's true sometimes. But in this case, it's truly a shock and surprise that Peter and John get up to race to the tomb. They're running to the tomb on the testimony of women. Don't mishear that. That's a different cultural thing of a different time, and it's very unusual that they do so. But they've been hanging with these women as these women have been hanging with them and following Jesus these many years. And for whatever reason, their testimony is enough to get them up out of their seat when they've been hiding in many ways to now run back to the tomb and check out what they've been told. People today, even now, struggle with the idea, what do you mean this guy Jesus? Wasn't he just a good moral teacher? What do you mean he was raised from the dead? Come on. There's a lot of other far more valid options, right? That, you know, maybe someone else took the body or they misunderstood. There's so many different options. What do you mean he's been raised from the dead? They get there. They race to the tomb, and what do they see? But they see the linen cloths that were wrapped around the body of Jesus. And before this chapter, we're told that Nicodemus, that that Pharisee who comes in the night early on in the Gospel of John, to ask Jesus in the night, who are you really? That whole interchange long ago that we hear about where Nicodemus is told by Jesus that he needs to be born again. We find that that Nicodemus has still been following the life of Jesus, and he comes along with Joseph of Arimathea, and they make sure that Jesus' body is cared for and placed in this tomb. And that Nicodemus brought roughly 75 pounds of myrrh and ointment to help with caring for the body. Those linens just laying aside, we kind of think of a body being picked up and moved and the linens just dropping off. No, 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 no. They were wrapped around him. And, and the myrrh helped kind of shape it and keep. This is a lot of linen to peel off. If someone were just stealing the body, they would not have taken the time to dispose of all the linens on the body. That's a curiosity. That doesn't make sense. Remember, Jesus, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus comes out all bound, and Jesus even tells the others to unbind him. How in the world would Jesus' body have been just taken, stolen, and moved somewhere else, and leaving all those bandages behind? Why not just take the whole wrapping? But when Paul goes in, he notices, excuse me, Peter goes in, he notices something else as well, that the head cloth is off in another section. Our translation says it was folded. A lot of people like to talk about it being folded, but it's more likely that, begin, again, it was still in the shape 
that it was placed. This cloth was to wrap around the head this way, much like you think about the old ancient uh, people with the old toothaches, you know, they'd have a cloth wrapped around their top to keep their mouth closed. That was what they were doing. Wrapping the bandages around this way to keep the mouth closed. And those bandages, that head cloth is over, still in its shape. It's probably a better translation of what took place. Again, why? Why? If you're just taking the body, why bother with all that? Reality is, he was no longer bound. No longer bound. The other disciple, the one Jesus loved, John, goes in and he sees and it says, and he believes. First to the tomb and maybe first to believe. But what exactly does he believe? Because the very next sentence is that John himself shares is, as yet they didn't really know what the scripture said and they didn't really understand the resurrection. They still didn't quite get it. But he's probably pondering these things in his heart, much like Mary, the mother of Jesus, did way back when, when it was announced to her that she would give birth to a son. There's no surprise that the world out there mocks and shakes their head in disbelief as to why could you believe all this crazy stuff? Okay, maybe he was a good moral teacher, but the idea that he died and then rose from that, what, what proof do you have? What's amazing is what the gospel writers chose to share. Remember, John wrote that we would believe. Now, if you're going to write and make something up, you're not going to use women as your witnesses. And you're going to take care of a lot of other details that they decide to leave in because they're sharing with us a firsthand account of how amazed they were by what happened. Peter and John go back to their home, probably still trying to figure it all out. But Mary, Mary stays right there outside the tomb. She's stuck. Like so many of us, she's stuck. How many of us have had that, that nightmare that we just can't seem to get out of? We can't wait to wake up because it just keeps, we keep going back to that same awful dream over and over again. It plays over in our head, and Mary feels like she's almost stuck in that kind of moment. She's stuck there at the grave. She's stuck in the paradigm that someone has taken the body and that she doesn't know where they've laid him. So she looks in again. How many of us have done that when we, we just take another look? We, we hope that maybe this time we'll see it differently. That maybe we've gotten it wrong all the way up to this point. That maybe this time when we look, we'll see them again. How many of us have lost loved ones that we expect to come around the corner or pick up the phone and, and oh, that's right. Mary looks in, and instead of just the linens, she sees two angels sitting there. And how odd it is, it's relayed to us in a way that she's kind of unfazed by that. 
They say, what are you crying about? And she says, they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. She's stuck. So many of us can get stuck outside the tomb. We, we, we just can't bring ourselves to understand what's happened. So many people we walk life with can't bring themselves to believe that something has happened, that God has done something here truly amazing. She's stuck in the paradigm that Jesus has died, and the only option is that the body has been taken and moved somewhere else. And as she turns to look out of the tomb, she turns and now she sees another person. And that person says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And she stays where she's been stuck right along. They've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. And it even steps the question up a little bit more, maybe assuming him to have something to do with this grave area, the garden, and says, you know, maybe he's the gardener thinking, maybe he has my, tell me where you've put him, I'll, I'll take care of him. And he says one word that peels the scales away. He says her name, Mary. This is the same gospel writer who gave us Jesus telling many stains of I am the bread of life or at one point where he says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know me. They know my voice. And when the good shepherd calls your name, everything changes. Rabbanai, teacher. Now, now she's stuck in a different way. She can't let go of him. I can't believe it. But Jesus has a job for her. And that job is to go and tell the disciples what she has seen and what she's been told. That Jesus is going to go to our God. Our Father. He says, My Father and your Father, my God and your God. Jesus has now made it complete. This is our Father, our God, and He's united that relationship as closely as it ever could be. And He leaves Mary as witness. She is the first to go and tell of the resurrection. Jesus knows full well what he's doing. He's using that one who has no validity to be the one who openly declares the resurrection. Should it surprise us? The birth is announced to the shepherds. Should we be surprised that our God is going to work with those who have no status or value in the rest of society? The truth is we are all outside the tomb and he has now charged us as well. We who feel like we are nothing in the face of others who are so capable and know so much more than we are and yet we are the ones 
who've been given the responsibility to go and tell. Because everybody right now is outside the tomb. The question is, what to believe what happened in the tomb? Did they make it up? Did they make it up? Well, if you were going to make it up, I don't know about you, but I'd be a far better director. I would have a much better tale to spin, a tale that wouldn't have so many problems. And I certainly wouldn't start out with invalid witnesses. Did they take the body because they wanted to later make, a, make something of it and, and talk about him being resurrected from the dead? Well, it's fairly clear that early on they didn't even really understand this idea of resurrection, that Jesus would be raised from the dead. They were still trying to figure that out. Any which way you turn, the evidence that's given to us comes back to, no, we have raw witness detail. If they were to make it up, they would have done it much better. If they had hit him and just tried to make up a, a, a story about resurrection, then why did they all go to their deaths telling a lie? The truth of the matter is, this morning we gather because that tomb was empty. And not just because that tomb was empty, but because that tomb was empty because God raised his son Jesus from the dead and in so doing gave us new life. The promise, promise of resurrection as well for us. It is an incredible witness that we are part of. It is the reason we gather every Sunday from here on out. It's a mini Easter each Sunday to celebrate what God has done. That Jesus Christ is risen that he is risen indeed. Let us praise God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that each of the gospel writers was willing to share the vulnerabilities, the realities of their, what they witnessed that they knew others would struggle with, and yet this is what happened. They're willing to share their own weaknesses, their flaws, their uncertainties. Why? Because in the end, they're not the ones who matter, but you are. And they want each of us to have the chance to believe as they came to believe. We praise you for this almighty God, for your precious gift of your Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ is risen. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. 